0: Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to 18. And remember, as we read, we're reading God's Word. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means! Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. That's God's word. You may be seated. Well, last week, if you were here, wasn't it awesome? Uh, the baptisms last week, and if, if you weren't here, uh, we had 17 people get baptized over the course of the morning uh, over that service. Uh, many of them shared their stories or allowed us to share their stories, and it was just an incredible uh, time to see what God has done. And, and there were a number of people that had been Christians for a long time, or, or at least an extended period of time, who, who said, you know what, I, I need to follow this step of obedience and, and be baptized. And then there were a lot of other people who, over the last few years, God has worked in their life through our church, and it just so encouraged me. I mean, you hear those stories and you just go, wow, the, the life change that God brings about is incredible. But, but here's, here's one of the things that blew me away, is God used so many different things, different parts of, of our church and different ministries to, to touch people's lives. So there was a young man who said, you know, it was at Vacation Bible School, and Mr. Bob and, and Mrs. Langley really, you know, made a difference in my life. One lady said, it was through my Exodus group. An Exodus group is a ministry we have kind of helping people experience greater freedom from sin and, and walking more like Christ. And another person said, you know, I've been around church and multiple churches for a while, but being in my redemption community, I saw what it was to authentically live out the faith from some of the leaders in that group. Another person said, you know, I come to church every Sunday and I hear the preaching and I, and I hear the music and I leave every week, it feels like, bawling my eyes out, even though I've never been a very emotional person. And, and, and then one lady, she shared about how she had gone to the, the store and had connected with someone about a sewing group and got connected to a sewing group where she met a woman named Maria, and Maria was investing in her, and that was some of what God used. And I just thought about that, going, you know, we talk about being gospel-centered and outward-focused, and you need to understand that is happening, and it isn't just happening in this room. It's, it's even more happening all over. And so I just wanted to take a moment and celebrate that and thank you for that. If you have in any way uh, given or served or contributed to what God's doing in this church, you need to know God's doing something. And I just want to celebrate that together. So let's thank God together for what He did. And, and, and so that, that baptism last week, it, it pictured something. It was a symbol, it was a, it was a um, symbolic sermon, if you will of a reality that we've been looking at here in this book of Romans in chapter 6. It was the reality that even though all of us have come into the world sinful, that is, we, we are born sinners, right? You don't have to teach a, a kid to lie. <laughs> Two-year-olds do that quite naturally. Um, you don't need to teach them that. Uh, that just happens. We, we, we sin naturally, and then we sin willfully. We like to, and we choose that path. And, and because of that, we're separated from God. But the Scripture declares that God has sent His Son, Jesus. He so loved us that He sent His Son, Jesus, who lived perfectly obedient, never sinned like we do. He died on a cross, paid the punishment that we deserved, and rose from the dead to prove that sin did not have the last laugh on Him. And, and, and the offer of the Gospel is that anyone who will trust Him, who will put their confidence and their faith in Jesus is united to Christ by that faith. That's why then Paul's going to use all throughout his writings this phrase, in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, he says. We are in Christ. That's this idea of union, that when you trust in Christ, it's not just that you get forgiven by Christ, but you get united to him. So the Father looks at Christ and sees you in him. And the Father looks at you. He sees Christ's obedience and goodness covering you. That is your new position if you're a follower of Christ. And and baptism is a symbol of that union. Uh, And so we actually read about this earlier in chapter 6. If you have your Bible, look at chapter 6, starting in verse 4. The Apostle Paul writes, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so when someone goes down into the water, it's, it's, it's this picture of being with Christ in his death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so they come up out of the water, symbolizing the new life that's in Christ. All of this is, again, this idea of union. It says in verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. What we saw last week, what we celebrated last week was this idea of union, that by faith in Christ alone, not by our works, not by trying to be better people, by by grace through faith, we can be united Christ. Now, here's the thing. If we're united to Christ, the argument that Paul is making here is that it will inevitably lead us to look more like Christ. Uh, The theological way to say this is that if we experience union with Christ, we will therefore experience sanctification and so sanctification is a word you don't hear that out there. It's a theological word. Paul's going to use it some in some coming passages. And so I wanted to, to take a moment this week and at least define it. So when you hear that word, sanctification, you know what it means. If you are new to this, you can you know, impress your friends later and say, I do know what sanctification means. Didn't think so. All right. And so here, here's the definition of sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more free from sin and like Jesus, in our actual lives. Okay? So sanctification is the process of being increasingly free from sin and increasingly like Jesus. Now, this is different than union or justification. Right? Justification is another word. It's, it's, you're treated just as if you'd never sinned. And so when you trust in Christ, your, your position before God, legally speaking, is that you're declared free. You're free from sin. You're not guilty. Jesus has paid the penalty in your place. But, but the moment you trust in Christ, it's not, you often don't look very much like Jesus. Right? you still got all kinds of sin in your life. And then the longer you, you follow Jesus, it's still, you're, you're disappointed how slow you change. Am I the only one that just feels so, it's like, gosh, I, I'm still battle in this i can't believe it but the truth is that if you're united to christ by faith you will inevitably over time look more and more like him now some of you you're here and you're not a christian and you wouldn't profess to believe in this and you would even have some doubts or skepticism about this because you've met too many of jesus's followers you say i, I just wish that the the followers of jesus were a little more like jesus And and I'm with you. I I wish I was more like Jesus too. And what Paul is going to talk about here over the course of these these weeks that we're looking in in Romans chapter 6 is how God uh, makes us more and more free from sin and into the image of Jesus. That's That's what he's about. He's declared us free from sin and righteous. Now sanctification is the process of actually growing in that. Saying no to sin and saying yes to obedience. Now there's a problem here potentially. Cuz if we're supposed to become more and more like Jesus, we're supposed to say no to sin and yes to obedience more. There's a question that always comes up because the reason that we're forgiven at all is as Paul has said here, by sheer grace. We talked last week about this phrase that's at the end of verse 11 uh, or I'm sorry, at the end of verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law. But under grace. and We talked about how under law is the idea that if you obey, if you keep all the rules, then God will accept you. Under grace is God accepts you freely as a gift. Even when you, even when you don't, you haven't kept all the rules first, right? So some of you go, well, I, I want to get into this. I want to get into, you know, into Christianity, but I need to clean myself up first. No, 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 no. Paul, Paul said, no, no, that's the under law approach. The gospel is under grace. But you go, okay, well, if I get forgiven so easily, then what's my incentive to obey? Aren't I just going to do whatever I want? Right? Anytime the gospel is preached faithfully where it says, no, 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 you can't do anything to earn it. It's just sheer grace. The accusation always comes. Well, then people are going to do whatever they want. People are going to just sin all that they want. And so that's the question that Paul asks here in verse 15. It's a lot like the question he asked up in, in verse 1. But in verse 15, he says this. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? Right, he's heard this question before. Paul, you're saying God's going to accept us regardless of what we do. It's by grace. Let's do whatever we want. He says, is thats that, is that how we should think? Is that how we should be motivated? His answer is, by no means. It's one Greek word there that means inconceivable. No way. That's crazy talk. That's what he's talking about. And so what, he, what he's doing here in, in this next passage is he's going to help us see the motivation of why grace doesn't lead us to sin. It actually leads us towards uh, obedience. Now, some of you are going, well, I was here about a month ago, and I felt like, did you already give this sermon? Um, because he asked a similar question up in verse 1. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, right? It's even the same answer. You go, did, did Paul get stuck on repeat, you know, in his, like, what, what, did he forget what he already wrote? No, no, no. The first part of this, Paul is saying, you're not going to go on sinning because you're united to Christ. This part he's saying you're not going to want to go on sinning. And he's going to explain why. So that's really what he's digging into today is motivation. Motivation. He's saying God's people want to obey. And if you're here and you're a genuine follower of Christ, you know that's true. You know that the time when it's like, oh, I lost my temper again. Oh, I looked at that again. Oh, I went there again. Oh, you just you know the frustration of that. And you know that at the same time, you know the joy of when you really just sort of get self-forgetful and you serve other people. And you, you, just, you know that it's like, yes, I, I want to be more like Christ. And what Paul's going to dig into in this passage is to say, well, what's your motivation for it? What's going to motivate you to actually say no to sin and yes to God in obedience? And so that's what he's going to look at today. So so we're going to look at three things that motivate us. Now, here's what's interesting about this sermon. A lot of sermons um, tend to have this, like, i got to motivate these people to care and to do this, okay? Because I need motivation to care, don't you? Right? Like, I need people to go, yes, this matters. Yes, this is important. And a lot of times, what we do when we try to motivate someone is we push on their will. We say, you can do this. Come on. Come on. And here's some stuff to do, and here's how to get really busy. Now, now Paul doesn't do that in this passage. Paul doesn't give any commands. Paul just, again, reminds us what's true. And so I'm going to try today, like Paul does, to motivate you to want to say no to sin and yes to Christ. I'm going to motivate you, but I'm not going to do it by pushing on your will. I'm going to do it like he does it and just celebrate what he says is true of us. Okay. So if you're here as a follower of Christ, listen up. This is what's true of you. This is who you are. So three reasons, three motivations why We want to follow the Lord and obey him in a day-to-day basis. The the first one is this. We, Paul says, don't want to reenlist as slaves of sin. We don't want to reenlist as slaves of sin. Now, you may hear that word slave, and if you're like me, you have this instant flinch of going, gosh, that's a really strong word. And I don't feel very good things when I think about the word slave. That brings up, you know, a lot of images and, and historical realities that are uncomfortable to think about, for sure. So, so, Luke, why would you use that phrase? Well, the reason I'm using that word is because that's what's here in this passage. It's in here, actually, four times. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey? Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. Verse 18, having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. Now this is the same word that in other places is sometimes translated as servant. Uh, Sometimes this word is translated as bond servant. But here the translators have have said, we're translating this one slaves. Because what Paul is trying to communicate is the idea that you are under someone else's or something else's mastery. That's why he uses this really strong term. He even explains it in verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's saying, listen, this is just an illustration. It's so hard for us to understand the power of sin that I've got to use some strong language like slavery to help you get it. And he's saying the reason, first reason, why we don't want to sin is we don't want to re-enlist as slaves to sin. Here's what he says, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? You are slaves of the one to whom obey. You obey, when you present yourselves. We said last week, present is like when you go to Chick-fil-A and they say, it's my pleasure to serve you. Or when my daughters say, at your service, right? And what Paul's saying is whenever you go to to any, you go, I'm here to serve you. He's saying you become the slave. And in this case, we would become again slaves of sin. Now he's already told us uh, back in, look at verse uh, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. He's saying, you've been released. You've been emancipated. Why go back into it? Now, it's interesting here because you have to... Another thing to, to think about as it relates to slavery is slavery in Paul's day, in biblical times... Had some differences from how we think of uh, slavery and how we experienced it here in America. So in America and in a lot of the Western world of kind of modern times, slavery happened through kidnapping. Right, people were taken against their will and forced to become slaves, often horrifically treated or killed a- a- as property. Right, and so so that's the American that, when we think slave, that's what comes in our mind. Now, that was part of how some slavery worked in Paul's day, right? One nation would conquer another and they would take over these people and make them slaves. But there was another kind of slavery in Paul's day that was also very common, which was voluntary slavery. It was the kind of slavery where, uh, almost like an indentured servant, you would say, "I'm, I'm out of money, I'm out of options, I don't have much of a future. And it was almost more like an employee, but you were... I mean, you were owned, and you, were, you had a master, but, but it was a very different kind of thing. Now, here's what's interesting about sin. Sin is both kinds, right? We are born into the world sinners, right? Adam, in a sense, was kidnapped into sin, and we're with him. Like, you go, I didn't have an option. I was born this way. That's true. You were born a sin. You were born in sin. You were kidnapped into it. But you also voluntarily chose it. And each of us have voluntarily chosen sin at different points in our life. And Paul's saying, you've been freed. You've been freed. Why re-enlist? Don't do that. That is crazy. But notice what he says is that we will have a master. Everyone has a master. Everyone is a slave. You are either a, a slave, he says, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. The the question here is not whether you'll have a master, it's which master, sin or obedience? My friend Tyler in high school had a friend, and he was sharing Christianity with this friend, and the person said, I will have no Lord. Very strong, I don't know that they growled it like I just did. But, but that kind of attitude. I will have no Lord. Nothing will rule over me. Eh. Right? What is that person's Lord? Their own freedom. Everyone is a slave. Everyone has a master. Love this quote by Rebecca Pippert. She says this, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. So if I asked you, if I said, hey, what do you think is is a major Lord that's out there in the world in people's lives? What's the major idol that people struggle with? What would you say? Money, money, money. A bunch of you said money. But think about this. Money, it's deeper than just money. See, we would say a lot of people, their Lord is money. No, it is, but, but there's a deeper thing they're serving, right? So think about this. Some people love money because it gives them power and control. If I have money, I can move the pieces. I can, I can make things happen. I like to be in control. Money helps me be in control. In that sense, money just helps you serve your true master, which is power and control. Other people pursue money because they want approval from people. You know, if I, if I have this car, if I have these clothes, if I live in this home, if I kind of look the right part, then people will accept me. And so, again, the, the, the real Lord isn't money, it's, it's approval. Other people, they pursue money because of the security it brings. I just want to be safe. I just want to know I'm provided for. I just want to not have to worry. Other people pursue money because of comfort want to have nice things they want to go nice places they don't want to be uncomfortable or hungry they want to have nice vacations right so you get this we all have things we serve and a lot of times they're deeper than we think and that is what controls us that is the sin that paul is saying don't go back to that but you will have a master see some people think that freedom is no master but that's not right freedom's not having no master freedom is having the right master Because if you have the wrong master, even if you think it's free, it's actually enslaving you. Love this uh, paraphrase um, by Eugene Peterson of this this portion in in the message. Here's what he says. He says, so, since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom... That destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God and the freedom never quits. All your lives you've let sin tell you what to do. Paul's saying, don't keep letting it tell you what to do. You've experienced this, keep it on the money theme. Right, you get a credit card. What does a credit card represent when you first get it? Freedom. I can get things that I can't afford to impress people I don't like. <laughs> Freedom. And then you start using it, and eventually what does it turn into? Slavery. It's bondage. Paul's saying, you've been set free. So you're not going to want to sin because you don't want to re-enlist for that. You've already been released. He's saying, you don't want to do that. You don't want to obey sin. You want to obey obedience. Do you get that? That's what he's saying, right? You're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. He's saying you're a follower of Christ. You've been set free from sin. You're going to obey obedience. And now get this, because we've talked a lot about how obedience is not something that earns you favor with God, right? You're not made right with God because of your obedience. Obedience doesn't help you get forgiveness. But obedience is essential if you want to experience freedom. You go, why? Well, because God made you. God knows how you work best. He knows that sin gets in the way. And that sin promises freedom and then just enslaves you in the end. And God knows that his way is best for you. And he knows that obedience is a path to freedom and a path to life. You're not going to want to keep on living a life of sin. Because you don't want to re-enlist to slavery to sin. But there's a second reason. Second reason is that we know obedience leads to righteousness. We know that obedience leads to to righteousness. Do you see that in verse 16? Slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to, and you, what do you expect it to say there? Right? You're, you're a slave either of sin that leads to death or obedience that leads to, you expect it to say life, right? But it doesn't. It says obedience leads to righteousness. And I think the reason Paul's saying that is he doesn't want to confuse you and make you think that obedience leads to like eternal life, because that's not true. But obedience does lead to more and more righteousness, to more and more sanctification, to more and more freedom from sin and likeness to Jesus. Obedience leads to that. And, and I just found this so interesting this week, because I typically think of obedience and righteousness as the same thing. But Paul's saying they're not. Obedience leads to righteousness. Right? Righteousness is a character quality. It's the practice of continually being someone who is saying no to sin and yes to Christ. And is more and more like him. That's the character quality of being righteous. How do you develop that character quality? With steps of obedience. Right? This is just what he's saying. Sin leads to death, but obedience leads to righteousness. So obedience isn't just the fruit of sanctification, though it is, right? You'll know a a good tree by its fruits, and if you obey, there's good fruit there. It's not just fruit of sanctification, though it's also the engine. It's what drives it. This This is why it takes faith to obey. Right some of you you're in a place where where money's tight and maybe it's been tight for a while or and maybe you've just ignored it for a while and you've kind of gotten to a point where you're going okay got to do something about this. I've got and if you're in a family we've got to stop spending more than we're bringing in. It's got to stop. The only way we're going to get out of this hole it's got to stop and so you sort of draw the line in the sand and you you go we're not going there we're not spending that and you Get a budget, and you figure out we we, we want to give generously, and, and we've got to be frugal here. But then Friday comes, Friday night, and you've both been out working, and everyone's tired, and everyone's drained, and and you know what you, you feel like? Let's just go out to eat. And and then there's this this war begins. But we've said we can't do that anymore. We don't. We don't have that in the budget. Yeah, but we we really should because we feel like it would be a, a not, I mean right. And you start you start playing that that wrestle in your head. And what Paul here is saying is he's saying that that you want to obey, you want to do the right thing in that moment, and it takes faith. But if you do that, it will lead you to where you eventually want to go. That obedience leads to righteousness. You go, I want financial freedom. I want to be able to be generous. I want to be less worried. I want to be less freaked out all the time. Okay, great. I know you want that, Paul says. Obedience leads to righteousness. And since you know that, Paul's saying, you'll pick obedience. He's going, I don't even have to tell you or push on you and go, hey, make sure you push obedience. You will, because we know that this is how it works. Obedience leads righteousness. Now, now, when we talk about obedience and righteousness, that feels a little abstract. So think about it this way. I love this quote by John Eldridge, his book, uh, The Utter Relief of Holiness. Here's what he says. It says, the hope of Christianity is that we get to live life like Jesus. Now, I think he means the ultimate hope, like, I mean, he's not talking about heaven here. He's talking about in, in this life. The hope of Christianity is, is that we get to live life like Jesus. When we say righteousness, that's what we're talking about. You get to live life like Jesus. Some of you go, well, get to live life like Jesus. I don't, I, how about like have to live life like Jesus or should live life like Jesus? Yeah, you should. But here's the thing. If you actually understand Jesus, then you know this is a better way to live. See, Jesus didn't have all the sin that we have. Jesus was the image of the invisible God, right? If we're made in God's image and God is restoring us in this process of sanctification to being more and more in his image, then Jesus represents that. Jesus is the perfectly, fully alive human being. Just think about how different Jesus was in what he did than how we are. Think about how Jesus handled power. Jesus had all kinds of power. So much power that the devil himself tempted him. And when the devil said, you've got so much power, throw yourself off this mountain and the angels will catch you. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to use my power like that. He had power to heal the blind and raise the dead and cast out demons. And instead of you know, trying to gather as many people as he could. When the crowds got too big, he went off by himself to pray because he didn't need the attention. And then he empowered his disciples two by two so that they could go do it. He didn't hoard power. He gave it away. Or think about how Jesus interacted with women. He didn't put women in their place or treat them poorly many of the the close close people that that followed and loved jesus were women in fact the the people that jesus allows to be the first witnesses of his resurrection were women and jesus wasn't enticed in, in any kind of sinful way by the women he interacted with he had absolute purity and yet he wasn't afraid to be near them Right, and think about some of the women that that threw themselves at Jesus, right? One of them, at least, and and this happened multiple times, but, but one instance in particular, there's a woman who was a prostitute, who out of gratitude is throwing herself at Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair and anointing him with this expensive oil, physical touch from a prostitute. And Jesus isn't like, hey, you really probably shouldn't touch me and neither is he like hey baby he's he's totally pure he handles power differently he handles sex differently he handles people and relationships differently right jesus sees people being abused and being mistreated, being taken advantage of in this temple system. And he's enraged by it. And he's not just sort of fair-haired, sissy Jesus, not going to do anything about it. He gets bold and he makes a whip of cords and he goes into the temple and he turns over the tables and he says, this is ridiculous as he fights for justice. And then when little children want to be near him and all the disciples are like, hey, hey, get back to kids ministry. He's like, no, no, no. I want to I be near him. Some of you are like, yeah, you want to be near kids because he wasn't a mom with three kids. He didn't have any, right? But, but wouldn't you love to like want to be around little kids and not be irritated? See, all these things, when you think about who Jesus was, it's why people, even people who would not call themselves Christians, look at Jesus and go, wow. And what Paul is saying in this passage, is you've been set free from sin. You don't want to go back to it. And every step you take of obedience, even as difficult, even as full of faith as it has to be, every step of obedience you take is making you more like Him. If you're a Christian, you want that. Which is really his last main motivation. The the last reason Paul's confident that you're not going to go on sinning is because we have new hearts that want to obey. New hearts that want to obey. God changes our wanter, our motives, our desires. Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Obedient from the heart. It's, I love that. It's not saying obedient from the will, obedient from the mind. No, it's obedient from the heart. You want to obey. You want to. Even when you don't obey, the reason that you're grieved is because as a real Christian, deep down, you want to obey. Not just to impress people, not just to look good, not just because your pride was wounded, but because you really genuinely love God. He's saying, Thanks be to God. You used to be a slave to sin. You used to do whatever you wanted, and you just served yourself, and now you've become obedient from the heart. Right, when I think about this kind of obedient from the heart, I, it makes me think of the difference in how uh, Molly, my wife, how, how her and I approach CrossFit. We both have been doing CrossFit for about a year, and um, CrossFit is just a kind of high-intensity constantly varied, very difficult workout. I I usually feel like my lungs are bleeding at the end. Um, And the way I approach CrossFit is like, I'm going to do this because I'm supposed to. It's good for me. It's the right thing to do. I do it. It's one way to do it. Molly does it from the heart. I mean, she's checking the night before on her phone if they posted the workout yet can't wait to get there, you know, like, just, and and it's interesting, because it's a totally different experience, and what Paul's saying is, listen, as a Christian, you're not just going to grit it out. Now, there's going to be times when you have to just decide you're, I'm going to obey by faith, But, but deep down, and in a growing way, as you become more and more like Christ, you want to obey. You're obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart to what? Well, some people would say, you know, when it talks about the heart, you know, it's not just obedient from the heart, but you need to be obedient to your heart. In fact, the dominant advice of our culture is trust your heart. Follow your heart. Be true to your heart. Which you know what that is saying? Do whatever you want. It's saying, you will have no Lord. But we've already said we know that's not true. And so, so what Paul's saying is here is you've become Obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. The the sound words is how he says it in his letter to Timothy. The the true teaching of the scripture, the gospel. You have have a standard of teaching. And it isn't just whatever you make up, and it isn't just however you feel. It's it's the gospel as expressed in the scriptures. He said you've become obedient to the heart, which means if you're a follower of Christ, you want to do what the Bible says. And you regularly sort of place yourself under the authority of Scripture and go, if there's something that sounds right to me, that's out of line with what the Bible says, I go Bible. That's what he's saying. Why? Why do you do that? Because you're a slave, not of sin, but of righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now now get this, this word committed, there's two ways to be committed to something, right? One is like, Molly is committed to CrossFit. Her action, she's active in it, right? Another way to do it is like, Luke was committed to that institution, right? Like, very different, right? Both is committed, Right, but one is like you're you're being committed. The other one is someone's committing you. Now get this. In this passage, it's the passive one. It's the passive one. He's not saying, thanks be to God that you had so much willpower and you wanted it so bad and you were so committed. No, 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 no. He's saying, Thanks be to God, that though you were a slave to sin, you've now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were entrusted. You were put in this. This was by God's grace. And he says then, verse 18, And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Which means that all of this is about grace. All of this is God the Father sending his son, saying, I know that that you've failed, but Jesus will obey. And he sends the son, saying, I know that there's punishment you deserve, but he'll take it. And Jesus rises from the dead. Jesus unites us to him by faith, and Jesus gives us new hearts that want to obey. Are we going to keep sinning? No. We've been slaves to sin. We're not reenlisting. Obedience, we know it leads to righteousness. It leads to getting to be like Jesus, and we have new hearts. So all of this means when When we sin, and and we do, get this, I'm not teaching that we ever become sinless or or perfect. It means we grieve. But then we rejoice. The work that God has begun, the work that he's committed us to, he will bring about. So if you're here as a follower of Christ, there's all the reason in the world to rejoice. You will not be a slave to sin because Jesus is making you new. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.